Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hey everyone and welcome to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Dina Sargent. Let's get started. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode. Now, parental stress is defined according to a few sources that I have found as the type of stress that arises when a parent's perception of the demands of parenting outstrip his or her resources. So in other words, when too much is asked of us, the less that we are able to really achieve when it comes to parenting. Um, The type of stress can impact a child's well-being as a result. Dr. Nikki Martin joins me on the show today with her expertise on child development and infant and child mental health. With more than 15 years of experience in children's mental health, we're going to be looking at a deeper side of the impact of parental stress on a child's development. So welcome, Nikki. Thanks for joining me on the show. Hey, thank you. It's so good to be able to talk about the, I think, especially the rise in acknowledgement of mental health and now looking into children's mental health. Um, as well, especially it being a, there's some searches about it being a genetically passed mm. down thing throughout. So it's really interesting for us to just discuss that and sort of talk about the impact that a child's mental health or an adult's mental health has on a child's development as well. Yeah, it is really interesting. I, and I'm particularly fascinated in infant mental Yes, infant mental health, we often don't think about infants and having mental health and thinking about it from that perspective, but it is actually really important because we have a saying that zero to five lasts the rest of their lives. And it's exactly what you're talking about in terms of our mental health is linked to all of those synaptic development and all of that neurological growth, but also the social epigenetic growth in terms of our genes. And then on top of that, all of the relationship, that relationships that we have and how we develop those rela- those those secure attachments and how do we understand the world. And it actually lasts with us the rest of our lives. So infancy and early childhood is, I would say, the most important time of our lives. How did you find an interest in talking about, because we talk about mental health and we see, like we, like I said, we talk about children mental health or adult mental health, but infancy is not something that we really look into. So how did you even get into wanting mm. to talk about infant mental health? Oh, that's a really great question. Um, that one I was expecting. And uh, so the I got really into infant mental health because as I was exploring what makes us who we are, right? How do we become who we are? How do we have those working models of the world? How do we understand relationships? All of those things that last with us. So as we get older, we still, we understand, you understand the world and perceive it in a particular way. I understand the exact same thing in a different way. So we can both experience the same thing. And when you pull that back, pull that back, you get to infancy. 
And infancy in, in my world is defined a little bit differently than it is in people's lives. It's zero to three, right? And some people mm-hmm. say it's even zero to five, but let's just say, you know, during that, that early childhood period. And when we look at those really, everything a child experiences, from the relationships to their environment, stays with them and helps them develop who they are and how they make sense of the world. And as I was um, trying to understand, really, from my perspective, it came from trauma. So I was always interested in understanding trauma and the effects of trauma. And as I kind of thought, how kept thinking, how do we get to this? I really, I was studying attachment theory at the time, which was um, very big then. It's different now, but very big then. And in, in, in terms of it was when all of the all of the research was coming out, and it was fascinating to think about how we all understand the world differently. So if you and I are on the playground, and another child throws a ball at us and it hits us, you might understand. You might say, "Why did you do that?" Right, thinking that mm-hmm. there was an intentionality that the child meant to hit you, right. I might say, oh, it was an accident. Let's carry on. There's lots of different ways that we can understand those experiences, those relational experiences. And that that's called, you know, in my world, it's scientifically, it's called the working models of the world. Like, how do we how do we understand what our world is like and how do we make sense of it? How do we understand relationships? And that has a lot of different impacts. But what I have recently become fascinated with, because it's related to everything, it's related to neural development and it's related to epigenetics and it's related to temperament and biology and psychology and everything, right? Because it's our whole being. So, you know, recently the way I've been thinking about it is less, it is attachment, but it's more on the relationship of everything that we experience in our lives and our early lives affects us for our whole lives. It impacts how our brain develops and how we learn, how our, how our neuro, like how our, our, um, our uh, neurological system, right. And our, how our whole body responds to that experience. So Mm -hmm. in infancy, that's really important. And I guess why that was a really long answer to say, it's fascinating because it lasts your whole life. Like Mm -hmm. that is fascinating, right? That you can have these experiences early in life and they last for your whole entire life till you're an adult till you're till you die and i think that that part of it is really important because what i learned in that in thinking about if we we it gives us the possibility of creating really amazing change because if we can intervene and create loving warm attuned responsive relationships and experiences early in a child's life at those key moments, then it means that for their whole lives, they have an experience where they know what loving attuned relationships feels like. They know what love feels like. They know what trust is. They can be, they can trust people in the environment enough and like the situations enough to know that they, that it's safe to be vulnerable, that it's safe to take risks. And from that, it's safe to be them, right? Which a lot of us learn that it's not safe to be who we are. And so we hide ourselves and we try to be something else. 
that the world will be so much more beautiful when children are allowed to grow and be who they are for mm-hmm. all of their for all of their sparkle and just be that. Be- and this is a great gift to humanity because when when we can actually not hide who we are and we can just be who we are, we actually bring those gifts. And that's where and when we can trust that the world is safe, when we can it allows us to be vulnerable. It allows us to take risks like show ourselves. And we need that to be creative. I mean, arguably, we need that for the future of humanity, right? Yeah. We yeah. be able to be who we are so that we can be innovative, so we can create things. And we hold ourselves back when we learn things in childhood like you're not enough or there's something wrong with you. And we take those lessons and we grow older and we think, we have this the shame built into ourselves, like there's something wrong with us. Yeah. That that impacts our it it's just it takes too long. We don't need it. Life is too yeah. beautiful, right? So that's yeah. why. No, it's it really sets us up, and especially seeing your passion for it really sets us up for what we're talking about today and just discussing the professionalism that sort of takes place and the research that sort of takes place that not only do you find interesting, but I think that we lack in knowledge about, especially when it comes to being a parent. We think about, okay, what we're going to do after a child, what we're going to do when the child is there, but we don't really prep ourselves for taking care of them right when they, we only look at their physical needs, not their emotional needs just yet. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, I think you're right. So, and I think it's such an important thing for us to really dive in down a little bit further. But before I get deep dive into it, like I always do in almost every show, um, we're going to do a little icebreaker just to get to know you as a person before we get to know you as a professional. So when I ask you these questions, just share the first thing that sort of comes to your mind. Um, The first one is a favorite book of yours. So I will say I thought about this one because I really love science books that right now I'm really into quantum physics and playing okay. in that space. But I think that for the show, the better option is I really loved, I really love the, um, the alchemist because I love this idea of this personal legend, you know, a true purpose in life. I think that that's a, in finding your true pers- purpose through your heart is, and that really resonated with me when I read that book. I have started reading it, but I think I sort of lost that um, interest in it very quickly. I think it was because I started reading it when I, during COVID when there was really nothing else to do and I saw it there. I'm like, oh, everyone needs to talking about it. Um, I think I lost the connection with it very quickly. And people tell me just to pick it up. And I've got another host as well who does another show. She also tells me just try going, just pushing through it because it's a really good book. I need to, um, I've now started getting back into my reader phase where I'm now like obsessed with reading. So I might go and give that one a try again, maybe. I read it on a plane and there was nothing else. And so I got really like hyper focused on it. And there were certain parts, but I do think it is like, I think it resonates as when you're going through something in your life where you're grappling with yourself and you're thinking, I want to connect to something larger than myself. And and it gives that idea of like the universe and witches 
energy and fun. So yeah, anyway, yeah, you can give it a try or not, but it was fun for me. Okay, perfect. Now, how about your most recent movie that you've watched? My most recent movie. Oh, I probably watched something on Netflix that I can't even remember. But I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you the movie that I've been enjoying recently, or that I've watched okay. a couple times. And it's going to sound strange, but it is very me. I really enjoyed the recent Spider Verse movies. They. They, I don't know if you've ever watched the Spider-Verse movies Isn't with the, Miles um, Morales. the animated one? Yeah. Yeah. I love the art in it. It's so cool. It feels like, right? And I and I love the storyline because it really is about resilience. And I think that that's an important, you know, this idea that we get knocked down and we get back up and try again. So that, that's actually one of my favorite, my one of my favorite movies. I um it was funny because I actually when the second one came out a group of us were gonna go but I hadn't seen the first one yet so I watched it on the way to seeing the second one <laughs> and I was just walking with my phone in my hand logged into Disney plus just watching it as I go along and my friend's like okay this is what you need to focus on this is what you need to pay attention to um so yeah, we were on the way. It was straight after uh, a day here is a day in the studio as well. And I was just on the way, walking to walking deeper into the city for the show. So it's it was great watching it bang after each other because it, everything really stuck in. So yeah, I'll never forget that day. That will, will be one of the greatest days as well. <laughs> That's great. I, I love that. I love that story. And it is that kind of like, it's just a feel good movie, right? And that's, yeah. That's what I love. I love a good feel-good movie of friends coming together. But what I secretly love about that, about Spider-Verse, mm-hmm. is I love the quantum entanglement of it all. I love this idea, right? We, we have those alternate universes and infinity. Yeah. There's an infinite number of each of us. And that is really fun to play with. It's great, but it terrifies me to think that I don't know what the other universe me is doing right now. Oh, it's so funny that you say that because that's actually one of the things I've enjoyed recently lately is like, is thinking about the, in, if there's an infinite possibilities, then the decisions I make, I know that there is a Nikki somewhere in the universe that has made the other decision. So it yes. frees me a little bit to be like, well, we'll see, let that one play out somewhere else. Yeah. No, it's, it's fun <laughs> to think about sometimes. I'm like, Who's better? Who, which one is living a better life than I am right now? Yeah. And which yeah. one can I go visit? <laughs> and that's where, so on that note, it's my, my other favorite book that I really enjoy is, I don't know if you've ever read this, but it's Midnight Library by, by Matt uh, Hay. And no, I it, don't think I've heard that. Oh my goodness. If you like this, then it's fun to think about because the whole book is about this woman who's grappling with what path she wants in life. And it talks about the infinite possibilities of one's life and the choices. And it's brilliant because it goes back and talks about and plays with, if this change, if I dated this guy, if I did this thing, if I went to this school, then what would happen and how would that change? And I that just is so much fun for me to think about. So, And I think relates actually to our topic. Because that is, you know, all of those little experiences really do give us different paths. And that's why we want to be able to have the most supportive, loving environment. Okay. Well, that is, that really does fit with the topic today then. So it's, it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I'll just skip on to the last 
last question, which is yeah. your favorite course that you've completed. This one was hard for me. And so during I, I've recently found, I've recently become as most of the world has, but uh, the last number of years, I've been really interested in thinking about technology and the impact of technology on children. And so some of the, and I'm really clearly having fun and thinking about the, in the future spaces and thinking, you know, what, what will be our path and how can we think about with advancing technologies? And this was before ChatGPT, but now it's so much more fun, right? It's like with advancing technologies, what, how will this impact um, humanity and impact children? And so I've been having fun playing in and kind of evolving into the space a little bit more and thinking about technology, the impact of technology, how we use technology. You know, we will, when technology comes into the parenting space, we will naturally take the easiest route. So we really need to be thought, which means that we will, you know, allow our AI or robots to be take care of our children. And we need to think about now, what are these, as AI is in children's homes, and impact and have they're having conversations with them and things we really need to start grappling with what do we want for the future of humanity um, because a child raised by ai as we've been talking about with early experiences right if we yeah. want if we want children to be ai they get raised by ai if we want children to be humans they get raised by humans so it's really interesting to think about that so that i've been so i took like uh, some ai and machine learning courses early on but most recently <sighs> Uh, futures and um, some like futures courses and um, and because I've been thinking about uh, child child futures and thinking about like what does that look like so that's been my place space lately. No, I think the use of ChatGPT especially sort of came up um, at a perfect time when it did because we're now we're sort of playing around and I know in Australia at least they're trying to add that into the curriculum. A little bit more and trying to teach kids how to use chat gpt and how to use ai which is i think i'm like why couldn't we get that then why couldn't we get that when i was in school because it would have been such an interesting exploration because now kids now are probably going to be a whole lot smarter than we are and what they're able to find out it's not just like type into google now they're like typing into chat gpt and getting a full answer um so it's it's going to be really interesting to sort of think about that. And I think courses are really, I did one unit of my degree in ChatGPT specifically, and it was so, yeah, it was so interesting in talking about how it, how it can be used and the different ways that AI has sort of changed and developed even further, which is even more interesting um, to see the transition that it's done. It's not something that we just found out. There's been so many developments that have failed and trial and error thing so that it's I can get stuck in that that's probably one of my big passion topics to just discuss yeah. so the minute you said it I'm like oh no I know where this is going <laughs> <laughs> well we'll try not to get stuck there but maybe another time we can talk about technology and oh, children yeah. right yes but it's because of, but it is I agree with you completely it's absolutely fascinating and very exciting and it allows for this kind of wild wild west because there's no answers so it allows yeah. us to explore and just play. And, and that's, for me, that's the most fun is being able to play with ideas and things. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I'm a, such a nerd for just like searching things up and just for finding things out for myself rather than sort of asking other people and finding out from them. I 
get down a rabbit hole far too easily, <laughs> especially when I know I'm supposed to go to sleep and I have work in the morning. There is me just sort of Googling everything and wanting to know everything about the world. So, um, which is why I love this show because we talk about it so easily. And I always have someone, at least one guest who sort of comes in and explores the same thing I do. So it's going to be so much fun. Curiosity is a very beautiful thing and something we need to work on more. It's something children have. So it's great. You still have you still have a yes. lot of curiosity that and interest. That's a good thing. Well, there is another saying that's a curiosity, curiosity killed the cat. So I'm not sure if I want to get stuck in that. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you, you, can, you can stop yourself. You can control yourself. Exactly. <laughs> I believe in you. <laughs> yeah. So parenting is definitely something that we everyone has a very different definition for, and everyone has a different way of parenting, style of parenting. What do you think that your definition of parenting is for you? Well, it's a really, it's absolutely very interesting. I, I saw the question and I really thought about this one. And for me, I think there's, it's a, it's, too, uh, I think there's a couple things. So on the one hand, when it comes to parenting in infancy, is a little bit different. So I'm going to give you give you two, if that's okay. So in infancy, there's this beautiful, I think of, so my answer to the question is love. That's my answer to the question. I think parenting is love to me. It is, has the possibility of being so much. It's that unconditional has the possibility of unconditional love, but it's always love. And here's what it looks like for me in infancy. And I know this is probably not at all what you were expecting for the answer, but in infancy, I, for me, it's that relational space in between the parent and child. When that child, you know, be, that, you know, that, ah, and, the, ooh, and that, that space, that dance, that relational dance that happens, that it's, that to me is the power of parenting that attunement, the responsiveness, the being present in that moment, to me, that's the power of it. And we see that beautifully in infancy because the, the in infancy, the child looks at the parent's eyes, the, they fall into each other. And there's this dance that naturally occurs like the, ah, and then the, ah, right. And it's just, yeah. it's brilliant and beautiful. And I think that that probably last throughout the life, but really it is something that relational dance is predominant in infancy. As we get older, I once, I was reminded recently of a quote that I, I wrote on Instagram or I defined parenting. And so I thought I'd share it here. It hasn't changed that much is parenting for me is the feeling you're feeling your heart ache and holding your breath and letting go trusting that they and you will be safe, that it will be okay, right? And mm -hmm. I think that as children get a little bit older, in infancy, you can still hold them, you still have some control. But as they get older, it is that they're going off to school or they're going to take the first steps or, you know, even going off to university. It's that moment of, I'm going to this hurts me and it's difficult and it's painful to sit here and I want to make it better for them. But I also need to know, I need them to know that they have agency and they can control and I'm here. And so there's that holding the breath 
this parent kind of go, and then the child does it and it's wonderful. Or the child falls and they pick them up. But whatever the outcome is, it's just that trusting that they're going to be okay in that beautiful space and that that struggle. So that's why I would say for me, it comes to comes back to love all the time. I think that's such a it's it's a very visual way of looking at parenting as well. It's like the emotion, the expressively expressive love. It's not just love behind the scenes. It's not just love to be there with them. It's that kind of viewpoint where you're you actually want to show affection, not just be affectionate. Yeah, I love that. And I think that, that that's really important because we need to, we learn through modeling, right? So when we can model love and connection and being there and attunement and responsiveness, and just like when we model that, the child mm-hmm. learns it, they experience it, and then they can give it out, right? Mm-hmm. So all of those things, right? And that's I wasn't expecting to, it's funny, I didn't think about this at all, but that is the ripple effect of love is what I call it, is like Mm -hmm. that we can share love and then you don't know where it goes, right? And that is like, because when we share love, the person feels, the child feels full of love and then they go to the playground or something and they're nice to somebody and that, you know, and that child needs it a little bit and then it ripples and it, 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 the energy expands beyond itself. And I think that when you were talking, I, I was smiling at the beginning when you were defining, oh, what did you define at the beginning? I think maybe it was stress or adversity. And yes. it was, right? And you were and you were saying that it, the definition you gave was lovely. And it was talking about the inability to provide more than what you have. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we think about, you know, I like to think about it because I like to talk about love. But when we think about it as our heart feeling full, when we when our heart is overflowing, we can give so much. When we are full, right? When we are full, when we feel full of love, when we feel full of I've been listened to, I'm I'm seen, I'm heard, I'm valued, I'm I'm loved in its true sense. Our heart is overflowing, and then we can give love. But it's really hard and it feels stressful and difficult to give mm-hmm. when we feel like we don't have enough ourselves. And yeah. I think that that when we think about parenting, it was a great definition because it made me think about that. I wasn't thinking about it before we came in here. Just a great thing of an interview, yeah. right? As much as you can prepare. And um, always going to be thrown off guard. <laughs> always thrown off guard. And, and I think that that's the I think that there's something really lovely about that. And when we then talk, and I know you're going to get to this, but I don't want to lose it. When we, when we, you're going to, you know, we're going to talk eventually about like, what do we need to do as parents to feel better? And I, and I go back to this and say, when our, when we are full, we have, we can give. And so making sure that parents are full, their hearts are full, they're feeling lack of when they feel more cared for when they feel like they have more to give they will always and that's a hard thing to do as a parent yeah because life because life is stressful yeah and i think we forget that parents are still people so that's uh i think we all and i've used that so often on the show where it's like we forget that parents are still individuals who are 
learning how to do things, who have no idea, especially first time parents who have no yeah. idea how to, how no to idea. do a thing. No idea. You and think that terrifying. you read all the, yeah. <laughs> I have so many friends who are sort of like, they feel like they're pulled from person to person, feel like they're having to go between family, their partner, the child. And they're just like themselves as well as forgotten about. And that happens so often. <laughs> And so easily, right? Yeah. So easily. And and you're absolutely right. When you're pulled in multiple directions and there's expectations, parents say, oh, you got to do this. And, and you know, it's, it's so hard because mm-hmm. also when you become a parent, and I don't think anybody is ever prepared for this, your feeling of vulnerability is you are your most vulnerable ever because everything is in that child. And you know that you can screw it up and you know that you can be beautiful and you know that you're going to do all of it. You're going to both be amazing sometimes and mm-hmm. attuned and loving and in the moment and reading a pumpkin, snuggling up and singing songs. And you were just like the, the star of that child's life. And then other times you're going to have times that are not so beautiful where yeah. you get difficult and frustrated because you're right. We're all human and we're parents. And in those moments, it's about how do we repair? How do we make it better when we have difficult times? How do we say to, how do we find a way to make it so the child recognizes that it is safe and loving and secure and that mommy or daddy or grandparent or whoever is parenting is human and sometimes makes mistakes. And yeah. that then teaches the child that they can make mistakes, that they can make mistakes, that they can repair damage, that they can make things better, that life is resilient, that they're resilient, that everybody's resilient and we can bounce back and things aren't catastrophic. We can fail mm-hmm. even at parenting for moments, right? Yeah. And we can make it better. Those are good lessons. No, I, I think especially when it comes to, I think, when I'm looking into, and I did do a little bit of research behind what parental stress is. And I think the way that I defined it, and I did sort of define it earlier with what we were talking about. And it's us just not being able to give as much as we think we're really wanting to give, we just can't. And it sort of takes out of our own selves very easily. And I just did, I did want to ask, how does parental stress and that whole idea of us not being able to give as much as we want to give, how does that impact an infant development? So there's so there's a little complexity here that I want to um, that I want to go into because I think that it helps make it personable, right? So mm-hmm. when we think about parental stress or and and or adversity, you're absolutely right. It it can impact child development in, in a multitude of ways, right? But what's interesting is often it comes from, there's this intergenerational component of we forget, and I love it's what you said. It's like we sometimes forget pe- parents are people, mm-hmm. right? And they were also children and they also learned about relationships and how things were and they come with all of this knowledge, just like I was saying when you throw the ball they're going to understand that situation in a, in in a, in a unique way from their own experiences. Mm-hmm. 
And this is when we look at the intergenerational effects or transmission of something like attachment, right? Where, which is just the way that we understand the world, that idea of how do we show love, of how do we process emotions. And so in those moments, we, we have to remember that parents do the best that they can, mm -hmm. right? And so some parents will have this, they will have had experiences that are trusting and feel like, feel balanced and secure and they feel safe. And so they're able to give that because they've had that experience of it. And that's great. But some, but many parents have experienced trauma, adversity. They have had times in their lives where they've had to feel like they've had to be safe and protect themselves, where security wasn't always given in the other, where the life wasn't safe. And in those in those situations, it's really important that we say we those parents recognize because I think often we're the hardest on ourselves, right? And trying to change something that you don't know what it looks like or feels like is one of the most difficult things in the world. And this is why I think sometimes parenting is about holding your breath and trust because when you have never experienced secure, unconditional love, and you are trying to give and trying to give that experience to your child, and you've never experienced it, and you've never felt it yourself, it feels like you're walking around in the dark, and you will make 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 sense, make mistakes, right? Because your own nature, your all of your brain, your brain. I like to think about it as like when I think about the the brain it's like habits are formed right and so do you, i i'm assuming you've bowled or our viewers have bowled right and so we have the gutter and the gutter is like the ball wants to go in the cutter but it's really hard we have to create a new pathway in our brains <laughs> to be able to say here's a new experience but we only see the world this way because it's our only experience and it's impossible it's nearly impossible to do something that you've never done or you don't know exists. Mm -hmm. And that can be the case with love. And that is one of, and why parenting makes us so vulnerable because we want the, I have never met a parent that doesn't want the very best for their child and doesn't want something better than they had, even if they had good. Yeah. They want better for their child than they had themselves. And it's really hard to do that because of the way that our brains form, the way that we develop patterns and we understand the world. So it becomes, so I say that, I say all of that, and I'll, I'll talk about adversity and stress in a second, but I, I want to kind of just preemptively say, yeah, really hard. And so because when we try to change something we've never done and we've never experienced, mm -hmm. and if we've experienced really difficult stuff, like a parent who's experienced trauma or relational trauma or experienced where the their home life wasn't safe and relationships weren't safe, often we go from black to white, right? We go polar opposites. It's really hard for us to see that beautiful gray space in the middle. Because mm -hmm. it feels like I'm going to hit or I'm going to have no discipline because it's really everything else feels like 
it feels too hard. It feels like I'm hurting my child and I don't want to hurt my child. But boundaries and right loving discipline is that is that gray space in the between. I'm going to give boundaries. I'm going to provide safe rules and structure to make so that they can help to help build and scaffold their world and help them understand it. Yeah. But for those of us that have been hurt, it's really hard because you go from one to the other because you can't see the spaces in between. Mm-hmm. And that is one of those hardest parts. So when we talk about adversity or trauma or stress, that is that is the that is the struggle is trying to do something you've never done. And then the inevitability that something's going to come up. So that stressful moment happens. And we all mm-hmm. come in with our patterns. We all come in with our ways of understanding relationships, our, our ways that we make sense of our world. We all do that, right? Just naturally, we experience, we learn it through our whole lives. And then it, something happens and there's extra stress, right? The day is beautiful. Great. I can try my best to be the best parent I could be. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know, there was this theorist, there's this um, back in many years ago, and he, his name was Donald Winnicott. And he talked about the good enough parent that there is no perfect. There mm-hmm. is no right. And I think that that's like, I, I go back to, I go back to the good enough parent a lot. It's like, we need to be good enough. And what, and that there isn't a perfect, there isn't a one way that it's going to work. It's that we always, for me, it's about putting the child first, creating loving, try, attempting loving, secure, attuned relationships. When the stress piles up, like you're talking about, and it's adversity, yeah. then it's it becomes harder to be our best. And then we're mm-hmm. hard on ourselves because we feel like we feel like we're screwing up and then shame sets in so that little part of us that we've learned to look at we hear along the way I'm going to assume other people hear it too is that little part of us that says you're not good enough who do you think you are anyway who do you who are you who do you think you are you think you're good enough for that you're unlovable you're trying to love somebody you're unlovable all of that worthiness or unworthiness as the case might be all that shame eats away at us. And that is like the whispers. And that mm-hmm. is what happens in stress. When we're doing well and we're feeling abundant and loving and we have so much to give, we get it back because we, but in those dark moments when we don't have enough money for the, for the, like we had to have an extra cost and there's more money crumbling and we just don't have it that month or it's just the financial pressors. And then the child, you know, your kid isn't eating what you give them, then you're feeling pressure on that, or, you know, all of whatever it is, or you just, you have to pay for something and you don't have it, or you have a fight with your mom or your fight with your partner or whatever that looks like, or somebody said something awful to you, or you're driving in the car and something awful happened to you. It's like, I can't do it. That's it. I'm going to tap out. And the one thing you can never tap out of is being a parent. Yep. Even when my son is now 18 and I still can't tap out, right? It's like there isn't a tapping out. There isn't a, I'm just done for the day. It's uh, that call comes and you are on. You are 
always on. And and the and the part the hardest part you said it about parenting is that you are never seen. You are never valued. You are mm-hmm. always there in the service and the love of the other. And every once in a while, you know, you have a beautiful moment where your kids like, I love you so much. You're like, oh, thank God I've done okay. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Fingers crossed, right? And I think, and I think the most, I haven't gotten there yet, but I think the most beautiful time is when you feel like when your kids, when you can see they're okay. When they get yeah. old enough and you go, oh yeah, I can let go a little bit. I can breathe again. They're okay. And and so in those moments of stress, what I would say, yes, it, it definitely can affect. If it's long, ongoing stress, it has l- more impact on the child and development and the relationship than short stress. So that moment in the car where you're like, ah, ah, ah right? The child might go, but then you can, ah, that money gets upset sometimes, or, oh, I just, that really frustrated me, or I'm sorry, honey, you know, and it can become a game and it can become not stressful. But when that stress is chronic and it doesn't go away and it's ongoing, that's mm-hmm. where we look at the impact of adversity, right? And it, and where it starts to impact the child's development, it starts to impact their emotional regulation and this is what infant mental health is right their Mm -hmm. relationship with others the development of attachment relationships with others hopefully healthy um right that's what we're aiming for it's healthy healthy yeah yeah minimum yeah we're aiming for some some level of healthiness yeah but also the ability to the ability to express experience and regulate emotions and then also to the explore their environment and learn and so from an infant mental health perspective, when we see these things, when we see they're not able to explore, right? When we when they see that they're not able to play, when they're so preoccupied with the parent, that they're so worried about the parent, then the parent's stress levels or adversity or experiences become so difficult that the child is taking care of them. The parent needs some needs some help because they're clearly there's some struggles there that we need to make yeah. sure that they're healthy, right? And so when we start seeing impacts in development, when we start seeing that they can't play and explore, which is really the occupation of childhood, right? All of those Mm -hmm. things, and they become preoccupied by the parents or making sure the parents are okay or always having to be near. All of those things, we want to just watch what is the child picking up on? What is the experience in the parent? And how can we support that parent in feeling not feeling those whispers from the void, which is often what it is, the you're not good enough. What kind of parent, what made you think you could be a parent anyway? It's like, yeah, no, no, you put that away. I am doing the best I can and we come back to being good enough. Good enough. And with that, I would add, it's about the reparation because I there is this feeling in our society that somehow we have to be perfect parents but there is, we can never be because we're human and yeah. humans are inherently flawed, yeah. right? Like we're always going to screw up, but can we be good enough? Can we give them enough experience of being loved, of being able to take healthy, safe risks, of being able to explore and play, of those loving, like, I'm going to read books and, and snuggle up and 
feel that blissful happiness? Can we do yeah. enough of those that it offsets some of the harder moments when we get frustrated and we're like, just go leave the house today. Just gotta get out, put your shoes on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then in the car or on the way, when things calm down, being able to repair that and say, oh, sometimes I get really frustrated, but it's not you. It's I have feelings inside myself that are hard and you're not creating this. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is this is the part sometimes that we struggle with with relationships. Even when we get old, our romantic relationships are we have an idea that the other is creating something in us, but it's not. Mm. It's actually us that's creating it. And then we project it onto the other. And so mm -hmm. wouldn't it be nice if children could have this idea that sometimes the behavior gets in the way and creates something that's scary mm -hmm. or that's overwhelming for the parent. Mm -hmm. And they react to the behavior, but the child actually is not the cause of it. So it's kind of like the good enough parent being the realistic parent, being like trying to balance, trying to let the child know that I'm human, but I'm also your mother. So I'm also... I can mess up as well as you can mess up, but I also can repair the fact that I have messed up and acknowledge that I have sort of yelled a bit too much or said things in a bit of a heat of a moment. And I did get caught up in the moment, but also allowing the fact that it is a normal, normal progression of emotions, normal sort of stance of emotion saying, okay, you start throwing a tantrum. I can... I do throw tantrums as well. So I understand where you're coming from. So it's sort of like taking out the whole fact of I'm a mom and just your mom. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is when it's about developing empathy, mm -hmm. right? And it's about developing self-regulation, which are so important, right? If we can teach the child as they get older, not in infancy, obviously, but as they get a little bit older in early childhood, we can teach them that how what your perspective is and how you see things in a developmentally appropriate way of course yeah then it starts to teach oh i i can see another's perspective i can understand the world from your lens i can see and so maybe it doesn't have to do with me and it's about those having open honest trusting conversations and building a safe space of belonging mm -hmm. where the child feels safe where everybody feels safe in the home and then you, when we feel safe and we can trust, we can have those conversations. You're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And when we can do that, then it means that we can ask difficult questions like, that made me feel really uncomfortable when you got upset. Did I do something wrong? And then yeah. that puts it on the parent to have to, oof, oof, no, no, you didn't do something wrong. But I didn't like when you, when that happened, because it made me feel like I wasn't good enough made me feel like I failed or it made me feel like, you know, when I was a little girl, I was told that I had to eat everything on my plate and I don't want that for you. But sometimes I hear that I'm doing, I feel I'm doing something wrong by allowing you, but that you're not eating enough and it scares me. Right. Mm -hmm. I know that's, that's obviously far more complex than you might say to a little child, but yeah. as they get older, you know, we can talk about our own experiences to, to allow children to understand exactly what you've said in terms of I'm human too and not just this 
bomb that doesn't actually exist, yeah. right? But it's, it's, I'm a human being as well, and I have feelings and thoughts, and those things sometimes get in our way, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's an interesting, I think you're absolutely right, and, and it's, yeah. it's an interesting way to think about how can we parent by being human. Yeah, and I think, like, when you were talking about, especially, I think, a little earlier, talking about generational um, experiences, and it came to mind, because I started watching... Uh, the show Gilmore Girls from the beginning again. And that always is the most best visual description of what intergenerational trauma sort of comes in or the parenting or lack of parenting style that sort of kicks in. And when you're talking about polar opposites as well, like you see the way that Emily sort of treats Lorelai at the beginning, which is a very strict this is what you're supposed to do because that's what she knew of a parent as well. And then as a reaction, Lorelai started treating Rory as if it's her best friend with no rules, no restrictions, more like your friend rather than the mother. So you see... And then Rory parents Lorelai a little bit because she really needs those boundaries and structure, right? Yes. So you're, you're, like, you're absolutely right. It's beautiful. I've not made that connection, but it's gorgeous. Yeah, great example. Like it, I always come back to that because it's such an interesting perspective for me to sort of see that's the impact that it has on one being authoritative parent, but also being a best friend kind of parent and trying to find that balance in the middle, which is, I mean, it is a, the most difficult thing because I think I grew up with having... Um, both my parents were very different in the parenting style, which was also which did not help when it came to um, sort of correcting our mistakes. My father was the best friend parent. My mother was the authoritative parent. And the way that it sort of came in was two completely different perspectives, one being a bit more lenient, one being a bit more harsher when it came to the punishments that would sort of come about. And it was very different experience between both parents. And like the relationship that I have with both the parents now as an adult is one I can tell everything to, but one I'm like, okay, I have to say the best things. It has to be a bit more calculated than the other. So seeing that as a, as my own experiences, it's a very interesting thing when it comes to thinking about how I would parent when I become a parent. Yeah. It's so fascinating. And here's, and that's a great example, and thank you for sharing it, because it's gorgeous. And it actually reminds me of something I think is really important to share here, mm-hmm. is that, so when we think about those, like, attachments, or, you know, what people, you know, we talk about as attachment theory, but what mm-hmm. we talk about, but what we're actually talking about is relational models, right, and mm-hmm. and patterns. So what you described is two different relational models, right? Like, but here's what's beautiful is all we need to know and share with children is to know that something is possible. Mm-hmm. So as long as they have the experience in their life where they have what we would call a secure attachment or that's balanced, trusting, relational, right? These moments where if we, they can experience unconditional love. When a child experiences that, even if it's a grandparent, mm-hmm. then they know it exists. And yeah. that's the battle, just knowing that there's a possibility that what it feels like to be seen and valued to what it, see, it feels like to be heard and understood, those, those 
those moments of worthiness of, ah, I mean, it is one of the most amazing things when you're seeing, right? Or you're heard, yeah. you're like, you just open up. And so for me, that's part of my definition of love is I think that that is, there's a lot of that moment of being able to be authentically seen for who you are mm-hmm. is, a, is really important. And so what I would say is for parents who do struggle with these feelings of worthiness or relational stuff, or maybe they're going through a divorce or you know, they're dealing with stress on their own, all of this, it's, it, it's not all on you, mm-hmm. right? And I think your example is beautiful. It's like you had two parents and both parents had a different role and a different take and you found, oh, here's my path. This is who I can be. But as you develop your romantic relationships or your friends' relationships, you're able to know people are all different and you're mm-hmm. able to find that because you know it exists. So then you can find, oh, this feels really good. I know it feels good and I'm going to find it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think that that is and I and I think it's important that we share that with people who are listening because we can put all this pressure on us as parents to I need to be and this is where the perfectionism and, and the shame and all of this, the guilt comes in. And it's like, it's not all on us. It's also on the teachers, the educators, anybody, the grandparents, anybody that comes into the child's life, any experience the child has influences and affects who and what they become, their friends, all of yeah. those. And so being able to, it's not all on us about creating those loving, attuned, responsive relationships. Those are best when they're with the parent. But if Mm -hmm. the parent is under stress and having a very difficult time and the best they can do is just to show up, then make sure you surround yourself with loving people who can also support you and the child so that you make sure that the world is safe for everybody, including themselves. Yeah. And I think that's such a way, there's such a good way to sort of end, sort of sum up what we're talking about and really just sort of as a strategy what would be like if you could list a specific practice that you sort of do what do you do that motivates yourself to have a balance for a sense of autonomy Mm. so i think for me um for for me and i don't know how much this will help parents because Mm -hmm. I'm at a different point in my life, but I'll share for me the um, one of the things that I found very helpful in my life has been meditation and to calm to calm that internal voice, to calm the what I call the void, that shame and guilt that bubbles up sometimes. But I found something interesting in my own practice that I got really into like I told you at the beginning I got really into like quantum physics and stuff and and thinking about that but one of the things I learned when I was learning about this is there was a couple things that were really really fascinating to me that you're that the community this community might find interesting and one is like the heart-brain connection so there's neurons in our heart Mm -hmm. and neurons in our gut and they connect with our brain through the vargas nerve, which is the longest nerve in our body, which is why 
you know, I had a lot of trouble letting my brain go and just trusting my heart. It was a really hard thing for me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I like, uh, clearly I like to understand things, right? And it's hard. And so that was one of, when I realized, when I, when I, when I learned that there is this connection, the heart-brain connection, um, and really got me down this path of intuition and thinking about and understanding how do we experience things? How do we make sense of things and experience them outside of ourselves? And that was fascinating to me. And it led me to this place of thinking about everything as energy, which isn't new now, but it was a couple, it was before this became like a really, it's a popular idea now, right? But mm-hmm. but it, but I share with it because I did, my exploration on this is, was fascinating because if everything is energy, then that means that all of the emotions and feelings and void and all that stuff I hold inside myself is just energy too. Mm. And right, everything's just energy. So I started meditating when this is a practice that it really helped me. It was fascinating. I just moved all of those feelings out. I just meditated and I imagined them as black and tar-like and sometimes rubble and all of those feelings took on a took on a shape and form and texture and I moved it outside of my body mm-hmm. and in in my imagination just as energy and it, sometimes it was really exhausting but what was interesting is the outcome is I no longer felt I no longer heard the whispers of the shame and the void it was gone I was able to actually move it, which I wasn't expecting. It was just play for me. I was like, I wonder mm-hmm. what would happen if. And so I, for me, um, meditation is a, is a space that I can find quiet. And it's been a place where it's allowed me to be okay on my own. Mm-hmm. And as if you know what I mean, like, I think a lot of our lives, we 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 make it that we have to be okay with others but as a as a human and as a person and as a parent mm-hmm. it's important that we can be our own selves separate from our child separate than our partner so we're not having to hold on to them and that's an important thing to model for children right that we can be individuals and also together mm-hmm. and most of us many people don't learn that when we're kids. We learn that we have to, we learn that we need to be intertwined. Yeah. Right? And that's a hard space to be because when we're intertwined, it means that you can do something and it upsets me. But when I'm my own person and you're your own person and we can choose to share each other, right? We can choose to share and then my feelings don't affect you in the same way. And I think that what a beautiful space for children to grow up because then it's choice to love. Mm -hmm. It's not enmeshment. It's not you are an extension of me. It's that I have a boundary here. I begin, you end, which Laura Lee didn't, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, she didn't. She didn't didn't end, right? She just was like, that was the enmeshment that just kind of yeah. like she just they they were one yeah. and it's charming 
But yeah. it doesn't feel good because the child wants to be, they want to feel like that's the independence. They want to feel like their own being. But yeah. we all do. And I think there's something really healthy in that knowing that you can trust the other and not have to feel like you're part of them. Does that make, mm. does that make sense to you? No. Am I making sense? Yeah, no, that makes a whole lot of sense, especially when it comes to, and I love to play with this idea of being a primary and a secondary character. It's like you're your own primary character. The child, Your child is your secondary character, but they're their own primary character and you're just a secondary character. So like I... It's, yeah, because I came into this, I only figured that out when I came into like a journaling, journaling lecture that sort of came in, journalism lecture that sort of came in and talked about writing, talked about the different characters that play a role. And that really became such a amazing aspect to sort of just go into being like everybody else is a secondary character into your own life, but you're your own main character. Yeah, it's brilliant right? It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes, and that's one of the tricky spots when we think about stress and adversity, because when stress happens, we're no longer able to hold that. A lot of the time, we're not able to hold that boundary. And so we don't, we lose that secondary character. We all become one in some ways. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And the child can't, I mean, sometimes that's the temper tantrum. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it Ah, I don't like how this feels. I don't know yeah. what's happening. This doesn't feel good. I'm now like I'm not myself anymore and I don't understand what this is. But yeah. sometimes, and for children who just have to live that all the time, it becomes a way of living and being. But I think this is, again, it's beautiful because what you're actually talking about or what I hear you say is this beautiful space of, um, oh God, you know what it is? It goes back to that def- that idea at the beginning of when we have that baby and the baby where that relational dance, it's like, mm-hmm. I can be me ah, and you can be you ah, and we can dance and play and have this attuned relationship. Yeah. But we are two, there's a space in between that we co-create to be a, to be this relational dance, to be this beautiful space. And I think throughout our lives, we can choose it becomes harder because we don't do that, uh-uh. right? That face-to-face, eye-to-eye kind of thing. But I think we choose to, Are we? what are we going to create in this relationship? And when we can learn to do that early on in infancy, then what we're actually teaching our children is self-regulation. We're teaching them to be able to care. And that's what you're talking about is I am me. I can care for myself. I know where I begin and where I end. And so then when I'm playing on the playground and you do something to me or I get get hit by a ball, I'm like, oh, you didn't do that on purpose because why would you do that? Right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, why? Yeah, of course. No problem. Here's the ball back. Let's keep playing. Right? Because I understand that I I am a whole being in and of myself and I can have those healthy trusting relationships and de- and monitor those those boundaries nicely with somebody else and wouldn't that be a, the greatest gift if we were able to give that to our children oh, yes. right yes. and when we are in stress just to go back yeah because because it's the the kind of the point of the show i guess <laughs> i would kind of i would kind of lost my thread 
But when we, when parents are under stress, right, and they're in, they're experiencing all of these things happening outside of themselves, which are impacting things inside of themselves, and it feels overwhelming and daunting and scary, and they can't manage it anymore, right? Which is your mm-hmm. definition that you, that beautiful definition of, I just don't have any more to give. Yep. It's those, it's that beautiful, that's the time when it is hardest to maintain those boundaries and maintain the, and that's when we get upset and that's when we, and that's where that reparation or fixing it or knowing and having the good and the bad and recognizing that we're real people, right? Mm -hmm. And hopefully it doesn't, if it's not long lasting, it doesn't impact the child as, as much, but as humans, it's how we grow and learn and develop, right? Yeah. And I think the best we can do is just be, like you said, like to sum it up, the best that we can be is just the good enough parent, is being there to provide the needs, but also allowing the child to realize the fact that you're not going to be the amazing parent that you're not always going to be able to do all the bake sales. You're not always going to be able to participate in every school function that comes along because there are other things that you need to do, whether is whether if you're working from home or you're not working or you're just a care, you're just the um, homemaker that you're still a person. It's beautiful because what you just said is gorgeous, and what you're talking about is resilient. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think sometimes, so I like to look at the positive. What are the positive skills we're teaching children when we have? or under some stress or when we aren't our best selves. Mm-hmm. Because I think sometimes it lets us off the hook a little bit of that shame and guilt that we can feel that it sometimes can be crippling, right? And it shouldn't be. And what you just said is, yeah, absolutely. You can't show up at every single thing. Um, but how you deal with it is key. And just to remember, children are learning resilience. Resilience is the ability to bounce back. Mm-hmm right? That that's brilliant. We're going to need that our whole lives because you know what we, what life is filled with, no matter what your age is adversity. Yes. Right. We are all going to, at some point in our lives, experience difficult moments and experience stress and adversity. And so when that happens, having children have the skills to be able to deal with it because they've watched their parent deal with it, because they've you know, not had their parent come to every bake sale. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and know that it's okay. Yeah. And maybe the parent feels awful and is like, and the and the child's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. I, I don't, like, it, it doesn't warrant feeling this bad. And sometimes it can be the child that, not an infant, obviously, not really little, but a three-year-old, four-year-old can, can certainly give the parent the perspective of, it doesn't matter. Right. I, you are, I love you. You are enough. You make, you are the superstar of my life. You make me happy and I glow brighter when I see you. And I mean, I think that is the beauty of, of parenting. Yeah. And I think it's, it's amazing to sort of see that journey as well. And I do want to thank you so much, Nikki, for joining me on the show today and for talking. And I think we really, spoke about something that was just 
an emotional roller coaster of parenting and just trying to find that balance between the different parenting styles, the different ways that we sort of go about parenting and especially our perspectives on parenting. And I think that is an amazing thing for us to talk about. Um, so if there's a way that audience members would like to get in touch with you to talk even further or to even talk about things that I have missed, is there a contact that they're able to use? Sure, I have, they can They can Google me at Nikki Martin. They, I, and also I have a website there that they have that my, I can't, can't remember, I think it's Dr. Nikki Martin. Um, dot ca or dot com, but if you if they Google Nikki Barton, they'll find me, and then I'd be more than happy for people to reach out and to ask questions because you know what, if somebody has a question, then it means more than one person has a question. So oh, yeah. I love, I love a weird weird question because, and I love hearing about it. And I will say that I had a, a student, a, a teenager in Australia sent me a note once mm-hmm. asked me a question in an email god love her she was so brave like I I don't think I would have done this I love this and it opened and I wrote a story about and right about uh, about parenting and attachment because she was just like tell me ask me this question and it was so it is I would love to hear about people and I think it is about creating what you've done here is creating a safe space where we can ask questions and and be curious and explore and love. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share me with you. And thank you for sharing you with me. It was beautiful. Yeah, no, it was such a great, great way. And I love the fact that we were able, there was no awkwardness when it comes to like other recordings that I've done. And this was such an easy conversation to have. So thank you so much, Nikki, for joining me on the show. Thank you, that fills my heart. (laughs) So thank you for filling up my heart today. That makes oh, me happy. Always. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. It was, a, it was a pleasure for me to spend some time with you today and, and share. So thank you so much for the opportunity. No, thank you as well. And thank you guys for listening so much. If you want to learn more about Nikki, definitely go and look at her website. I'll have those links down below. So easy access for everyone. Um, yeah, so thank you everyone so much for listening. And I'll see you all in the next episode that we have. You've been listening to Raising Parents, the Parenting Science Insights podcast, produced by the Parenting Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 life management perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps other people find it so that we can grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found on our website at pa.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Dina Sargent. Thanks for tuning in.